1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Toby,
0: And I'm Robert Diamant.
1: And this is Talk Art.
0: Welcome to Talk Art. How
1: are you today, Rob?
0: Today, Russell, I am feeling like I'm healing. And that is because I've been thinking a lot about the journey I've had over the last kind of 20 years or so getting into art. And a lot of it was for me about healing. And today's guest has approached art with that kind of energy as well in a way. I I feel like there's a strong element of healing within his work and it strikes me that a lot of the artists I connect to most, there's, there's a kind of element of somehow making work in order to survive or in order to make sense of the world around you, the injustices around you, you know when I think back to like people like Frida Kahlo who everybody knows that I adore partly why I loved her was because my brother had died and then I heard about her accident in in the bus and that kind of way of like making paintings in spite of all the challenges that are prevent, uh, presented in front of you and today's guest has just had an exhibition which is about to close actually at Marianne Boski in New York and I think it was his first ever solo show in New York and it was called What We Talking About and for me it's an extraordinary body of work, it's totally heartfelt totally accessible in so many ways and very, very personal and very intimate moments mixed with kind of much bigger feelings. So you've got this kind of personal reflections of the world directly around you, but also the world outside and also society, such as like the police and different themes. And um, our guest is a self-taught artist, which obviously you and I are are fascinated with because we've both curated shows and been involved in shows with different kinds of self-taught artists all over the world but he is amazing because he's illuminating themes of black life across america in a way that feels really fresh and 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 exciting so we are very proud to welcome to talk art jamie Jamie Holmes. holmes hi jamie
2: hello russell hello robert Great to be here.
0: So I know that you grew up in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and you've since moved to Dallas, Texas. So what was it about Dallas that appealed to you?
2: So when I moved to Dallas, I was actually looking for a job. And honestly, I didn't care what it was, but I was mainly looking for another manufacturing job because I knew uh, I was kind of familiar with some of the uh, companies out here because of working in Louisiana with some of the companies that was already out here in Dallas. So I kind of felt comfortable here. And um, instead of getting into the oil field, I still was able to get into a manufacturing company. And uh, the things they made, I just didn't agree with. So I was happy with uh, getting out of it. They used to make uh, AR-15s and we made thousands of them. And uh, we made heat sinks, but we made AR-15s also. And we made thousands and thousands, and you make you wonder, like, where the hell are these guns going. Whoa. And then I remember get, I remember getting to a point to where I watched random, I, I watched a lot of documentaries, and I, I remember watching this Colt 45. It was like this, it's a gun maker. And I remember I was asking, like, because we around this time we had those mass shootings a lot. And we was making these AR-15s. And I remember asking my my fellow employees, I'm like, man. Like, you don't feel weird, like working here, knowing that we are making this shit, like, and everybody would be like, no, I don't think about it. But it kept ringing in my head because I did myself lost family members from gun violence also. So it was always kind of weird to me. And, uh, and I, I guess like eventually it, uh, this art just saved my life because I was already going, it was crazy because I was already going through so much. And I was still feeling a certain type of way from people that I've uh, lost in the past, and then I'm working with a gun company, like a, a company that's making AR-15s, and so it was a, it was a lot. And uh, but I, I figured out how to express myself through art, and it it freed me. Wow! Did so. you
1: did you tell your bosses like your your moral reasons why you were having to leave the job? Or did you just quit?
2: No, I actually, I just quit. I had, uh, I talked to them, they would always try to beat us to the punch, right? So when they had, I forgot what, they had a mass shooting and I can't remember when it was, what it was, but at the time it was still made by the same man, it was made by the same manufacturer that we actually made the guns for.
1: So that and gun so that it, was in the shooting would have come from your factory, basically. It,
2: so they claimed that it had, it didn't, but it was the brand. I mean, I think it it could have, but because of that, I just, I don't know. It, it kind of left a stain on me with that, because I was always so like political and wanting to fight it for the poor people. Even when I was poor, I just always won. I just always cared about right and wrong, like. So, but whenever it was time for me to quit, I just told him like, dude, this is my two weeks. And he was really upset. Everybody was upset that I was leaving. And before I walked out the door, I was like, you know what? Instead of giving him a two weeks, I feel like I'm making an excuse to come back. So I'm going to burn the bridge right quick. So I was like, I was like, matter of fact, I quit today. I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burn the bridge on purpose. Yeah. That way, I didn't have an excuse to go back to the company. Yeah.
1: I love that. Wow. But, but you were saying about, you know, having a poor upbringing and, you know, gun violence and everything growing up and art saving you. And everything I read about your childhood as a art has been this constant light. And you started doing sketches from the age of 12 and you were referred to, right. like family members and friends said, that you had million dollar hands. And I read <laughs> yeah, that and yeah. I thought, that's magic <laughs> that you were able to create like drawings you could draw what is in front of you and you could people would ask for like pictures of Bob Marley or Marcus Garvey right. and you would be oh. able to just create them and people were astonished by you.
2: Right. It was it was so uh you know when you were sixth grader somebody tell you you have a million dollar hands, you don't care about that shit. You just kinda like man you know this dude talking about you know what I'm saying. So at the time I didn't know how to really take it. I just knew I was always doing what I loved doing, and that was just sketching at the time. And I remember when my grandmother, she has this one picture of her mom. And at the time, you know, scanners and printers wasn't like a thing that everybody had access to. And um, we didn't have any in our family. Um, I remember my grandmother had this one picture of her mom and she asked me, if I could draw it. And mind you, I'm I'm probably a sixth or seventh grader at this time. And I was like, I was confident as hell though. I was like, oh yeah, I could draw it. And I remember drawing that picture for her and it looked exactly like ah. her mom. And she, because she wanted to give it to her sisters because she only had the one picture. And then I ended up having to do three more. <laughs> so until this day, my, my grandmother, like and my mom had a picture of my little brother that my grandmother liked when he was a baby. And she was like, man, I want a copy of that. So I was kind of like a, a printer, basically. And uh, till this day, my grandmother still have those framed and hung up on in her house. Oh. And so when I look back at it, I'm like, man, I was so advanced. Like, I was just, I was super advanced as a kid when it comes down to like sketching, like faces and and colors. I just knew certain colors that that some people even to this day, they like, how, you know, about com- com- complementary colors and, and color wheel. And I was like, I don't even know what the fucking color wheel is. <laughs> I was like, at the time I didn't know what that was. And it was like, well, like it, like whatever you're doing, it works. Like how you know this And it was just like a natural gift that I always had. But, um, I was always like into just like the, 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 the whole world of art. Like, I just didn't know there was a world, mm. you know, besides mm. graffiti. Like graffiti is art to me. So uh, that was the the first time I ever experienced like paintings from somebody else.
1: It was graffiti. Did they recognize it in school, in your education? Were they kind of on top of seeing this gift that you had?
2: Besides the fact that I used to win like all the, the kid contests with art, <laughs> I used to win all of that, but I had an art teacher in high school that recognized it. And um, he kind of, anytime I wanted to get out of class, he would let me come to his class and just let me hang out there. So, And he would keep all my projects. I don't know if you still have them, but he would always like, hey, can we keep this? Can we keep this? Can I keep this for the next next year? And uh, I would just give it away. And then I remember when I... I fell apart from art because when I got out of high school, I started spazzing out one day in my room. Cause I was a real angry, emotional person. And uh, I remember going to my room, I would have all these pictures that I sketched and all kinds of shit. And I remember I spazzed out, I ripped everything off the wall, balled it up. I was like, this is trash. Like you can't even have a job doing this shit. Like what the hell blah, blah, blah. You know, start freaking out. And, uh, then I remember, like, damn, well, who's sketching this shit for Nickelodeon? And that's when I was like, damn, like, I could have did that. I could have went to college and worked for Nickelodeon, because I'm still, to this day, breakfast and cartoons is my life. Like, I, I have to watch some cartoons. I like breakfast. That's like that's life for me. I think we're the same so, person,
1: Jamie. I think <laughs> I, I mean, for me, my favorite meal of the day is breakfast. Anything with eggs and cereal, and in watching like Ren and Stimpy or Beavis and Butthead or something on Rocko's Modern Life, I'm right, re- yeah. living the dream. That for me is perfection. Right.
2: You can't have a bad day if you start with breakfast
1: and cartoons. <laughs> I'm going to quote that. I'm going to get that on the t-shirt. I'm
0: gonna start I'm taste. going to start trying that one out. So Jamie, yeah. you grew up, for those who don't know, in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and that's the deep south of America, for those who haven't been to the States or might not be aware. And what was it like growing up there? Do you think the place, because for me, I can kind of feel it maybe in your paintings as well. There's a sense of of the past, the the kind of moments that have now gone, like within the work, like do do you feel like it was a very rich tapestry of uh, as as a place
2: it was definitely rich in culture because it's an old slave town you know and a lot of times a lot of times when you don't have pretty much you don't have the resources for certain things or you just don't know about you create things you know what i mean like we played baseball together like We clear out of sugar we played hide go seek in sugarcane fill, you know what I mean? So we was always just creating things. Like we we just didn't have resources, you know, we had two parks, you know, and and the parks was still to this day I hate to say it like this, but we would call the white part the white part, and we got the black part the black part. And and we still, in, our, in my head, I still don't remember why we did that, but I guess because the black part was named after Martin Luther King. So that was the black part. Even when we had Mardi Gras parades, it was the white parade or the black parade. So we were so conditioned to be like that. We still have roads. Matter of fact, I'm working with the, the city council right now, talking with her to try to change some of the street names, like we have a street name called Plantation Road, and it goes to the to the hood, you know. And it's like Plantation Road going to the a low income area just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to a school where the mascot was a Confederate soldier. You know what I mean? So a small city like that, a small slave town like that, is uh, it's just different growing up. So a lot of things we we didn't tolerate and we, a lot of things we learned how to tolerate. So racism for me is a little bit different versus um, if I grew up in New York, you know, um, cause we don't, we don't, we don't really fear. We don't have that kind of fear like that somebody's gonna lynch us or the cops gonna kill us because everybody lived down the street from each other. You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you live in the same neighborhood. So the cops couldn't live in a whole nother city and drive to Thibodeau and beat on some mind and go back to the hills. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. That's how it is in most places. But this in Thibodeau, like you went to sh- the cops live down the street. So it's like most of the time there'll be a fist fight with a cop and everybody just go home. <laughs> it's over with, you know, so uh, it, was, it was a little bit different but with the lack of resources and which leads to like a lack of knowledge and you don't know how big the world really is until until you pick up a book or
1: you're able to travel. Mm-hmm. And this town where you grew up is such a big element in your work. Is there a part of you that feels a responsibility to tell the realities of that and for, you know, the community that you grew up with?
2: Um, what I try to do is... I just try to pay homage to my city because that's the city that raised me. Like, when you grew up in Thibodeau, everybody was your parent. Didn't matter. Like, if you did something wrong, it was okay for somebody to yell at your ass. Like, it, it was normal. You know, it was normal to get punished by somebody else's mom or, you know, that, that was just normal. So I like to, I like to do that. And, and another I like to pay homage to them because, because of that. And another thing I like to do is put my work uh, Thibodeau and my work because you know for the younger generation just to show them that there's other avenues outside of basketball football or rapping or you know I just want to show them something different somebody doing something different because it might prop them to be I don't know they might want to grow up to be a model or ice skater or play tennis or like you know I just I'm just trying to show them like hey I'm successful as an artist doing something different, not saying, oh, I'm I'm just successful and that's it. It's more of like, no, look at what I'm doing different. That way you could think outside of the box also because you might want to be a a pilot. I don't know. But at home, you don't have no dreams of none of that kind of Mm. stuff.
1: Mm. The autobiography, your autobiography and, and memory are huge elements in your practice and things that you draw on. Moving away from Thibodeau and being in Dallas, does that make your memories more vivid that you're able to access? Or has the work changed and are you now feeling parts of Dallas come into your imagery?
2: My, Dallas had never came into my work, but Dallas had always gave me a space to be able to sit and think. Cause it's it's not as it's not moving like like New York and LA. It's not like so like when you go to New York, you're in New York, and it's like all right, everything is going on. Yes. But Dallas, I get to kind of sit back, and then that I get to sit back and think and and reflect. Like some of these stories come up, and another thing that actually helped is um, I moved my little brother from Thibodeau out here also, and I, he works in my studio. So a lot of stuff it's like me and him having conversations. Like remember that time when XYZ happened, we laughing and then I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And then like saying no, I, I come up with this idea, oh shit, I wanna do a series, you know? <laughs> so a lot of times like it's just through conversation And and what I try to do is, it's not like word for word when I paint these things, but what I try to do is because I try to tie it, how does that look as a whole because I want my work to be representing for minorities that could relate all the way to Thailand, to wherever, you know what I mean? Like, I just want everybody to feel like, wow, man, I could feel that because, you know, there's black people that didn't grow up like me, just like there's, I know there's white people that did grow up like me, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? There's Asians that grew up like me. So I just try to make sure and being that i you know i'm a black man it's easy for me to tell the story from my point of view because i am black i lived like 38 years already <laughs> you know so um but what i try to do is make sure that i try to soothe the people that need to be soothed and um uh, i try to educate the people that need to be educated yeah and i think yeah.
0: i think your work has that that genuine it's authentic you know it's it's your actual perspective you're feeling yeah and you can feel it in the work so there's mm. an immediate connection you have with the work because of your honesty and it's a bit like what you're saying it inspires other people to be more honest or to think outside the box or to or to dream bigger or to know there is the possibility to even to dream and for me one of the reasons I really wanted to speak to you on the podcast is because talk art for us has been about trying to make art more accessible for different audiences for wider um you know and trying to break down the elitist kind of boundaries of it all and I I was so inspired by by the story of you like age 30 going to a museum for the first time and and like not knowing what to wear and kind of procrastinating and and not and not yeah. quite getting into tell us about that, that, that. idea tell of like crossing the threshold is a kind of yeah. ongoing concern of ours like we are trying to get more people into museums into you know even making work you know and i think art, you are forever I, I love what you're doing you know to
2: right and that that was a that was the thing like when i when I heard about an art museum, I swear to you, I that was not in my vocabulary. Like art museum, I barely can even pronounce museum right now. You know what I'm saying? So it never was like really in my vocabulary like that. Because the first time I experienced art, like I said, it was the graffiti on a train. And also in the lowrider magazines on cars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them. So that's what I saw art was. I was thinking like, okay, lowrider, you know what I mean? And um, so when it was like, oh, you go check out the art museum. I was like, damn, like what? I don't even own, I'm a streetwear person. So I wear t-shirts and pants every day. So I was like, man, I don't know what you're supposed to wear to that kind of shit. Like, so at first I wasn't even going to go. And then I ended up wearing this, ah, I remember I found these white pants that I had. (laughs) I had these white pants, which I never wear that. Like I wear black every day of the week. But I wore these white pants and uh, one of those jackets without the sleeves. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had like, like the jeans. Like a gilet yeah. thing. I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying to look, like, sophisticated, which I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then when I finally got in there, I realized, I was like, oh, man, I could have wore anything I wanted, man. This is not like that. And then um, I just started really, like, embracing it, like, like sitting in and enjoying watching the people more than the art at the time, I was like, man, look how these people are really finding themselves in this work everywhere. Like it's like, it's like people are happy over here. People are holding their chests over here. Like, I was like, wow, like that, that is pretty cool. So, and then when I became an artist, I was like, man, I want people to feel welcome. Like I want people that look like me that never experienced art to come in and not be, Uh, stuck with, I mean, like I'm a big Rothko fan, right? That's now, in the beginning, I would never understand that. So what I'm saying is I want people from, that never been to have a experience that they could look at and like, wow, that reminds me of me, that looks like me, you know what I'm saying? Versus like just being stuck with something like that just don't look like them or understand, like, you don't want to get stuck like that, you know? And I feel like because of me becoming an artist and making the work uh, more accessible to people and people getting to experience it because not everybody could afford my work. My goal is always to give them the quality and the experience whenever they get to see my work. So um, I try to focus on that. So when they get in, they could feel like, oh, all right. I feel like I own some of that too. Yeah.
1: Well, in everything I read about you, uh, the fact that you're a self-taught artist takes like goes right at front and center when describing your practice, it seems like something that is incredibly important to you. I guess it's what you're just saying about accessibility and for people realizing that you are a possibility model. You can be a role model. This is something you can actually achieve. But being self-taught, have you found going into the art world that there has been sort of any snobbery about that and holding your pride for that? Has that been something that's been tough or people have tried to talk you around or have you felt like imposter syndrome? You know, I, I'm an actor. I never went to drama school. And for so many years, I thought, oh, you know, I never went to drama school. I'm not a proper actor like them actors that went oh. drama school. All them, All them sort of thoughts enter your mind. What has been your experience of that and, and how have you held on to that?
2: Um, I've always had, uh, imposter syndrome and survivor's guilt. That's like something that I carry cause I'm so, I'm such a, I want to be involved with the people like at every level. Like I want to be able to talk to the highest of the highest and the lowest of the lowest people in the, of the world. Like I just want to be there for everybody. So I've always had like this imposter syndrome moving around in the art world until, um, nobody never made me feel like that. Like oh, like you're self-taught. Nobody made me feel like that, but I've always worked so hard because I said, you know what? If they do feel like that, I'm gonna make them make it to a way they can't resist it. Make sure my make sure I represent myself well whenever they see me in a physical, and make sure that my art represents itself whenever they get to see it also like to where it's like one of those things like, you know what, we can't deny it. like the dude's work is really good. Mm-hmm. Like this is self taught or not, like he's really good. He's a good person. And his work is good. So I always focus on that. And another thing that I another thing I've always said though, like even if I wasn't accepted into the fine art world, I really didn't care because I created I I always created art for the people that look like me and, and 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 people that cared about the work. So I never really was chasing an avenue.
1: Right, right, right. You know? and, and for people coming to your work, your work is largely figurative. And it seems from the titles that your family members are huge features. Titles like Uncle, uh, Mama Raised Me. I love my, that painting. My grandmother was an usher, Mama cousin. Me. Yeah. You know, and you've said about how your brother's now working with you in the studio and, right. you know, that that feels like such an important energy that runs through all of your practice. But then aside from the figures, there is this constant appearance of birds, sparrows, I think they are. For one moment, I thought they might have been right. woodpeckers or a finch. And then looking more, it's these sparrows. And even there's one that's just like a whole bush, uh, which is, you know, I think right. there's about 35 birds in one bush, I counted. I don't know if that's right or the number significant. Right. But what what is the combination of, of of figures and birds and what is this going through?
2: Well, when it comes down to the sparrows, it's more of one of those things that just brings me peace. Um, because like I said a while back uh, in a few interviews that um, the sparrows originated like in my grandmother's yard and her yard was like a sanctuary for everybody. You know, you went to her yard and it just had that energy cause she had the only one, she was the only one with flower bed, roses, like she really took care of her yard. And the birds would always just be chilling in the yard. And it was like one of those things where I've always thought that they only exist in Thibodeau until I moved to Dallas and started seeing them. And it reminded me, it was like, wow, the world is actually bigger than we think it is. You know, like there's a thing called migration. You know what I mean? Like what the hell, like birds move around. And uh, but at the time, like I didn't I didn't think that. And so ever since then, it's just been a symbol of my inner peace. You know, what I mean, till this day, I have a I have a bird feeder at my door because those same brown sparrows are at my studio all the time. And like, it just feels good. Just one of those things where just being outside, and hearing them like chirp at times. Like so I just just inner peace, you know what I mean? And uh, and and as for the figures, the figures are just like just representation of my city and everybody that went through what they uh, went through, the things that I might have went through, or come from a small city like I came from.
1: You know, now there's a huge demand for your work. Do you find it hard then that your these are members of your family and, and the memories are imbued in all of your paintings? What is it like selling them? and seeing these go out into the world
2: um that my older works was um was wasn't actual members of my family it was the titles because at the time I didn't know how to paint none of those people I didn't know how to paint faces until recently but like now now it's tricky because I use the funds to Take care of myself, my kids, my mom, and my whole family. Like I'm a family person, so let's just keep it like this. I keep the ones that I can't part with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I end up, I end up keeping the ones that I can't part with because then I'm, I'm a really emotional person. Uh, I try never to make it about uh, finance, like money or none of that stuff. Like I don't think about the demand. I just honestly, I block out all of it. Like, I, I just, I try to block out all of it because I don't want that to affect me as an artist by, like, either chasing money or wondering how much something's worth or what it's selling for. I just try to stay out of the the grass of it, you know, like out of the weeds. Like, it's just, like, I just focus on creating the work. And if I can't part with it, I just keep it. I they everybody, The galleries know that I will keep my the paintings that i can't part with because i do have two sons and this might be something that i want to pass down to them and they might not want to part with it easy it might just might whole uh, uh be a safe you know spot for them in their heart
1: what do they think of the paintings
2: they think it's well my oldest is 12 my youngest is 10 they think it's cool but they think cause is cooler <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're in competition with cause for oh respect right so,
0: funny.
2: <laughs> so they think they think it's way cooler so i don't i don't fight for i don't fight it so i try to um nurture it by getting what i could get for them and they have all the cool stuff
1: like all the, the figures and all kind of stuff oh, well, all the cause like, figures or the cause one yeah sort yeah, of statues yeah. He makes. You're
2: yeah, last summer they wanted to go to New York because they wanted to go see the Cause Exhibition, so I had to take them to New York. Oh. And I was like, you know, I have work, like, hanging out right now. at, And they was like, oh, all right, okay, Dad, yeah. They don't, they don't, That's so don't funny. Care.
0: <laughs> there's another theme in your work which I really picked up on, which is this kind of Baroque element. And there's kind of like gold that often reappears, like the color gold, like in a way. And even one of the works which I love has a wooden kind of um, almost like a religious icon, like a kind of frame at, at, the, at the top of the painting.
2: Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I use gold. I use gold a lot because. Uh, I feel like gold is one of those luxuries that black folks always had, like even from the the ancient times, you know what I'm saying? And another thing is, so one day I was just sitting in my studio and I was thinking about the use of gold. And then I start thinking about where it comes from. I, I'm always in a rabbit hole, by the way. So, and my dad's from Sierra Leone and I was like, Sierra Leone, they're digging for gold in Africa. And mm-hmm. then I started thinking about the kids with their hands chopped off. And I'm like, man, this gold shit is crazy. And then I started, I just started using it in my work just to kind of, like, man, all gold is, is not always coming from the, the, the most prestigious place like myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't come from the, the highest quality place, but... I'm still golden, you know what I mean? So I just started just using those references. And whenever I use religious references, it's almost because I grew up in Thibodeau, which is like, you know, Louisiana part of the Bible belt. So as a, you know, grown up Christian, you just that's just something that you had to be. <laughs> it was like it, it was like there's no no such thing. could not this- be anything besides that.
1: But there are, there are, you know, the gold to me feels like the kind of baroque element of a, of a church. But there are religious elements that run through your practice. We see like baptisms, the Bible appears over and over again. Right. There's there's blessings, uh, there's ushers. You know, there's a sign that says Jesus saves, but yet the S on Jesus is a dollar symbol. So <laughs> it's kind of like relating to the church and capitalism. There's a lot, there's a lot of coded elements in there. But religion right. again is you know, family and religion and upbringing all really appear in most of the images.
2: Right, right. I I like to, uh, because I'm talking about, with those works, I'm talking about my upbringing, you know what I mean? And whenever I get down to the parts of who I am now, then I'm sure things would change. But for now, it's just more of my upbringing and and, uh, my city as a whole and the black community as a whole most you know most of us are christian but you know there's a lot that comes with that and you know it gets deeper than that well there's an amazing painting
1: that, that is is called facing myself i would i would project onto it that that is actually you jamie but there is a, a, a face of a man but there is a bible that's basically obscuring most of your face and it's front and center of the painting and That painting to me is so fascinating and uh, troubling, and makes me think: Does he want to face himself? Is he facing himself through God's eyes, or is it his eyes? That that painting to me is is so successful.
2: Yeah, um, when I I had started that uh, a small series called "Facing Myself" because I was so proud of myself, and I think. 2020, well, that was last year, I would say last year was the first time I ever painted a self-portrait of myself that looked like myself because um, I just never wanted to really paint myself like talking about because I was just, I couldn't face myself basically. It's it's one of those things like, there's some people that if you do something wrong, right, people don't want to look in the mirror. Right. Or if you feel some type of way about yourself, you don't look in the mirror. You can't brush your teeth and even look yourself in the eyes almost, you know. And I just felt like I was so. I was always like emotional about like just my past, like like wishing that I was stronger in the past or I wish certain things that happened, I wish I was able to help. Like, so I was really beating myself up over some shit that had nothing to do with me. Like I, nothing I could have did anyways, I was a child. Um, So, and then whenever I started, you know, with, with therapy and all these things and started uh, apologizing to myself. And then I was able to finally feel like, wow, like I'm facing myself, like really dealing, dealing with myself, like I'm so excited. The series I'm about to do is about my fucking emotions. I'm sorry
1: about it. No, um Swear my, fucking swear is fine. we love swearing. Oh, okay. <laughs> we love we love we love swearing.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Okay. Well, I was like, you know, I'm going to focus on my fucking emotions this time. Like, I'm tired of, like, it's everybody's, like, how they feel, how this person feels. Nobody could tell you how you should feel about a certain situation. Nobody could tell you how you're supposed to feel when somebody passes away. Nobody can tell you that you can't mourn. Nobody can tell you that you can't be happy. You nobody can't tell you shit. Like the way you feel is the way you feel. And then so that's when I got to the point with, you know, with uh religion. And I felt like that was one of those things that was like, here, you gotta be this. If not, we're gonna keep throwing it in your damn face until you figure it out. You know what I mean? So um so it it was like one of those things. Like just I felt like I was slapped in the face so many times by people that had the Bible in their hand. But um that's a different story. Um but I just felt like it was like um okay you're gonna face this shit. Like you're gonna face yourself. Even if they throw it in your face, instead of just getting mad and Going the other way, what you're going to do, you're going to face it, you're going to handle it, you're going to move on. So it was just a whole bunch of things that I was trying to face within myself. Mm.
0: You know, I, I I watched that video that recently was streamed at Freeze um, online and also Marianne Boski's website. And it's this beautiful video portrait of you at work in your studio talking about why art means so much to you. And that was partly why I used the word healing in the introduction, because the language you used around the materiality of art and like, I know you use oil stick a lot and then acrylic and just the physicality of those materials for you, but also the way that you you described, um, seeing as feeling like you've had to like, use your eyes to feel when you're making the work. Can you speak a bit about this, the, the, this energy of like healing, you know, responding to what you've just been talking about, but, but the kind of the physicality of making painting and why it's so important to you?
2: Um, so whenever I, I'm, I made that statement is, it's mainly because like, when I'm painting, I feel like it's a, it's like a, I hate to use the word romantic because it's like I'm painting guys too. (laughs) Um, It's really like, uh, it's like poetic and romantic at times. I'm just saying. So it's like when I'm, I feel like I'm molding that person. Like I'm creating this person. I'm creating this flesh. I'm when I'm painting these lips, I'm just, I feel like I'm touching an actual lip. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, and even like when I we go to restaurants, like I stare at people because I'm so like amused by the way people use their hands. You know, I talk with my hands, or when people smoke cigarettes, they might hold a hand this way or hold a hand this way. I don't know. It's like so. I'm I'm so when I'm painting, I feel like I'm having the opportunity, to like just to touch that. You know, and even even like uh, because think about how many people you actually do touch. You know, you don't get to really touch on people like that besides somebody that you care about when you're hugging them or things like that. But whenever you're creating, it's almost like, uh, like molding. That's why I'm sure like sculpting. Like, I'm sure if I ever get into sculpting, I'm probably going to actually love it because to be able to, to build that and shape that person the way I want to shape that person, because a lot of my figures also are made up people that I made up. They're just standing. So it's like, I created that person. So, it's really like, like I don't know. It's like a
1: dance. Mm. I want to go. Well, I want to go back. Then you talking about this again. It makes me just feel like it must be so hard to part with these works <laughs> uh, because there's so much like you know romance, sensuality, and everything in there. But i read this incredible thing, and I don't know if you've started implementing this, but you wanted to interview collectors of every right, painting.
2: I, I really do. I, I do. I I want to because of the fact that I don't care your reason for buying the work. Like, even if you just buy it just to hang on your wall, but I want you to at least understand what it means and what it means to me. And I want to know what why it connects to you because I'm that person. Like, I want to just know, like, like if I'm a white man living in, I don't know, in a $100 million mansion, what makes you want this painting and you'll be surprised because that white man that grew up in a hundred million dollar, uh, mansion, he probably grew up. He, a lot of people actually grew up like I grew up, you know what I mean? So you'd be surprised. So it's like, it's, it's, it's cool to find out how they got to where they got to, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like art is that conversational piece. You know, and like, OK, why does this piece connect to you? Well, you know, my mother, you know, and I, we grew up such and such and this, that. And, the third. and I'm not saying everybody have the same story or have to have the same story. I just want to know why it connects with you, because when it comes out, when it when it's with me, it's 100 percent connects to me. So because
1: yeah. I created it. Have you had a lot of people excited to talk to you? And have you had any people that have been reluctant to, you know, have these conversations with you?
2: Honestly, I get a lot of people talking to me. Even people that didn't even buy the paintings, they hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and w- weirdly enough, I try to answer all my DMs out of everyone that I get. I get like 500 DMs probably. And I try to talk to people because I'm like, man, we, people have access to people these days. Like, just enjoy it, just enjoy it. Like you're not gonna be able to answer everybody, but people are excited. They have access to people now, you know, like we're we're conversating right now. If we didn't have this Zoom thing or podcasts or whatever, we would have to fly into a studio somewhere and have this. I would have to fly all the way to London or wherever the location, that people are at, you know? So now we have a faster way to have access to people and I get it, you know? Like, cause I have a lot of questions about stuff but I just don't ask them as much.
1: What is your studio practice like? How often are you in there? And do you like have snacks that you rely on and drinks that you need? We
0: know you do, you can't get out of this one cause we saw you before we recorded. Uh, you had a big tub
2: <laughs> of snacks. Well, <laughs> well, well for one, to answer the tub of snack. <laughs> I have these now right? And
1: my what I, girlfriend... What are now what are for people that don't know?
2: Uh, there's, like, these hard, chewy candy that tastes like different fruits, mm. right? So they're, like, a, a, a different version of Skittles, okay. in a way. Right, but they're bigger. So at my house... I have like a whole candy store. Cause I buy, I don't buy like one candy bar. I buy pounds <laughs> of candy. So I'm, I have airheads, like 20 pounds of airheads. Like I I just, I get the munchies so bad. Are you because, hi- Are
1: you hyper all the time? Are you full of sugar? Do you have to work? Like is your, is your hand shaking?
2: Well, well I get the munchies cause every once in a while, like, you know, I get stoned,
1: <laughs>
2: and you get the munchies.
1: But it's not so, pizza. Your candy, your go-to, not pizza. For most people, it's pizza.
2: No, it's it's candy. But you know, I make sure my teeth are good. You know, I I go to the dentist and brush my teeth at night because <laughs> I have these. But uh, candy is my my go-to because honestly, if I'm hungry. And this is really weird. This is really bad. I shouldn't say this, but if I'm really hungry, I could eat a noun later and not be hungry. So it's almost like an appetite suppressor, too.
1: Good to know. Because in my
2: studio, I, I am so like zoned in when I'm creating. I don't feel like eating. I want somebody to eat for me. Like, can you just eat the food and, or just feed me while I'm painting?
1: I know that feeling. You so, want to get it. You want to get it all out of the way and just concentrate. It's like I've always found it when you when you need to pee really bad, but you're in the middle of right. writing something or you're I'm <laughs> doing something, and I'm like, oh god, i go wee, and I'm stood there going, hurry up, hurry up, I want to get back. Why Why are we at this stage <laughs> in evolution that we have to wait for all this stuff to happen so we can get back to the job we were doing?
2: Well, no, I want to get back to it. Like, but I do have a. I have good studio habits, like work habits, because I'm I'm used to working in uh, the all field manufacturing and in in that field, I had to work from five to five. So you work 12 hours. Right. Um, So here I come in about eight, nine o'clock and I stay until about six. Then I'll go home. But um, but there's times where sometimes I'll stay till 11 o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning at times, you know, because I just want to work. It all depends on how I feel, but I, I really have like good studio practice. I don't have like, I don't have no crazy hobbies, you know. I love I love cars, but I love this is like my my true love. This is like a hobby for me, like just painting, like enjoy I really enjoy what I I'm, I'm doing, so it's it's like a man cave. At the same time, I got a couch, TV, I have everything. What do I you drink, do you drink
1: coffee as well as all these? Sweets?
2: No, I go to Starbucks. Right. And I drink this refreshener every day. Like, I don't And, and, and you know, I found out it might not have that much caffeine in it, but mentally, I think it has like so much caffeine. I'm like, oh, I feel so <laughs> good, man. I just had a refreshener. It. It's a placebo. I <laughs> love that.
1: Right. <laughs> I, I love hearing your stories about how. You know, people investing in your work and that money goes back into your family and goes back to supporting your mum. But it feels like for many years you had an amazing amazing art support network. And the fact that every Christmas your mum would buy you art supplies, even when you weren't a practicing yeah. artist, she she knew from the age of twelve and you know, exactly. when you're drawing for your grandma and your aunties and everything, and suddenly, you know, you've got a mum who can see something in you that you might have forgotten you had
2: right yeah she she always supported like the whole idea of me sketching and things like that It and even at first i was thinking she was just bad at buying christmas gifts because i was like what the hell is this like i don't i don't know how to paint why she was always buying me this junk like that's what i was thinking in my head because i wanted the cool shit i was like man i want some sneakers some some nike t-shirts some shit like that but instead she would give me those things and I don't think she even knew what it meant at the time. I didn't know what it meant, but she was getting it for me. And ironically, I'm a full-time artist, you know, and I love what I do and I I appreciate her. And so now I'm that guy that actually buy everybody drawing pads and paint supplies (laughs) and stuff like that, because I feel like, I'm like, man, Look where I'm at now, you know? So, but she, she always supported. I was the one that she was like, you not quitting school. Cause I was thinking like, cause you know, you have growing up, you have people quit school, you know, and, and just want to do bad shit. My mom was like, no, you're not quitting school. Cause one time I was being lazy. I was like, ah, I think I want to quit school. And she was like, no, it's not happening. It's not freaking happening. And uh, I graduated, so it, made it, out.
1: it must be very emotional for your mum to see her son succeed in this way, and know that she was such a vital cog in your creativity growing up. Does she come to see all your exhibitions, and does she have opinions on the work, and what's that like? Well,
2: she went to she went to my first solo show, and uh, she she likes it, but. I think in her head, she, she sees Jamie. She don't see like, she don't see the adult artist that's painting saying, mom, look at this painting. She sees the kid, Jamie, look at my sketch. Mm. So to her, it never like registered to her like that. Cause I'm still her son, like she always says. But if you go to her house, like she has all kinds of stuff hanging up. it's like <laughs> this lady, she cuts out newspapers. Oh. She's the, the mom that actually got newspapers cut out. She she screenshots stuff off of my Instagram. She prints the shit out and oh. frames it
1: what the hell is this? Like this. My mum kind of does creepy. that as well. My mum absolutely does that. I'm like, the quality's terrible, Mum. Where did you find this? And it is like it's hilarious. I, oh, used, I used to
0: uh, make music and my mum just made me like a book recently of all my years of making music, of like all these terrible like press cuttings and everything and photos of me with hideous I haircuts. I need
1: to see that. Oh. The haircuts you've had in the past right, oh. are shocking. Shocking. Yeah, really, really <laughs> terrible. On. Oh my god. Be so on. Jamie
0: when you're sat in the studio and you've got a canvas in front of you and it's blank and you're about to start I'm really fascinated about how it happens for you does it is 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 there a kind of way that it happens every time or is it always completely different because compositionally when I look at the work there's so many different things going on from like tiny bits of text or numbers like even like 30 cents or 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 there'll, there'll, there'll be some kind of like figures but also, um, in that really moving painting of carrying the casket, where, where you see mm. these young men like carrying, you know, a dead friend, you have these balloons that say the number 30, 30. like floating. And Not that painting, birthday. I can't get it out of my head. Last night when I went to sleep, I was like thinking about that painting. Like it's, there's something about the composition. And I'm fascinated about how they come together because it almost looks like music or something. There's, it, there's mm. kind of like, I don't know, like a, it's like a composition, your
2: paintings. Yeah, music is like a a really big major factor in my life. Like I love music. I can't sing, I can't rap, I can't dance, but I could listen to some music. So like when I come to the studio, the first thing I do is I put my music on and I kick back and I just just try to to feel the energy of the studio. Like I don't let too many people in my studio because I don't want the energy to be off. So I I try to fill out the studio for the day and I put the music on Cause I call this my studio a beast, right? So it's like I'm in the belly, like the belly of the beast. So I really feel like I have to feed my studio. So when I'm in here, I'm just just jamming, just listening to music and sometimes the night before I might have an idea in my head and then I just come and I just hit it. Or if I don't have an idea the night before, I'll just come in here, listen to some music and and just start thinking and try to and I try to change up the perspectives that was normal to people because I realized like me as an artist the goal is to paint the world that I see already it's not the like I don't see the world the way everybody else see the world and I accept that so I'm going to talk about certain things that most people might not I'm going to paint a perspective that most people don't see that's just the way I see it like for the painting that you were talking about that painting was me Um, highlighting how I felt and blacking out everybody else because it's not about them at this time. Like, I'm so used to, like, including everybody and caring, like, oh, how you feel, how you feel, how you feel, and if I say how I feel, then we have a problem. So it's like, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. This is how I feel. So I just blacked out everybody on that painting, and the composition is just in my brain on how I see things.
1: So you've just had them a big New York solo, uh, one of many, I'm sure with Marion Besky. Uh, you're in yeah. amazing collections, you're in institutions, you know, Lenny Kravitz is a, a big collector of your work, a big <laughs> supporter. Do you have yeah. ambitions at every stage? Is, does a year happen, New Year's Eve, and you're like, right, this year I want to achieve this, or by the end of the year, I want to be in this collection, or I want to be showing here, or meet that person. What are your kind of burning ambitions?
2: Uh, honestly, I never, I never really plan out anything besides just outpainting myself. Like, oh man, if I did this solo show, my next one I gotta be better than that. Like, I want to, I want to I wanna dig deeper. And as for collections, I, I don't really, I don't really think of any collections because the most important to me is trying to get my work into as many institutions that I can because I feel like uh, ins- institutions are a great way to educate people on the work and it's the public get to see it. Like, cause I'm such a public person, but I don't do murals or I don't do certain things in public. So it's like, man, if I have my paintings in museums, like people can actually see it because if it's in such and such as house, they're not about to just let you just walk in a house from off the street. You know what I mean? So I don't just focus on the idea of like being in a specific collector's home at all. It's just more about just trying to get into institutions right now. I really want to get into film. So that is like my new New Year's goal this year. Like my first time actually having a goal is to like do more film projects.
1: Oh, wow. So, in, in what context? Like scripted or you want to?
2: Um, honestly, I want to do things Uh, just really... Artistic, and the, the way I see it, like the way I paint it, I want to make film the way I paint.
0: Wow!
2: Like not so much, not so much with talking, because I'm not a talkative person. I don't really. None of my paintings. Most of the people are not even. They're just staring. So that's the kind of stuff I want to create. I want to create things where it invites you to feel my feeling like my emotions like i want you to feel the same thing i feel or can we sit together because i want to feel you this time you know so i want to do things like that like uh you know just in a jamie
1: way you know i can't well i can't wait to see <laughs> these jamie films yeah Sounds wow great. wow are you actually putting that in steps in place to achieve that now
2: well, I did one already for Mary Uh My solo show, I did like this four minute film I named Zebra and uh, it went along with one of my paintings but at the same time, it was for people to sit down. It was like a reflection of some of the things that my grandma and my mom might've been through, well, did go through between, uh, from, Images of Malcolm X, from images of the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, from film of little kids smiling, black kids smiling. Like it's just a whole, like a just a whole feel, a whole mood that I wanted to capture within myself. Like I wanted people to sit. It was to invite people to sit with it and, and have an eye to eye with me. So it's me just sitting like this and I just stare into the projector for four minutes and I, I still messed up my eye i have this thing in my eye i don't know if you can see it mm-hmm. i messed up i messed up my eye ever since then like i did it in july It's september my eyes still messed up. what do you mean so from the
1: little. light of the projector or something yeah no, yeah, well, you've damaged but, your retina
2: yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah. Jamie. So that's that's from not going to film school and learning certain things you can't, <laughs> can't <laughs> don't do. stare into oh. a, a light from a projector my like, god but, but i did it i made the video and what's most importantly importantly i showed it because i was such a like a wimp i was like ah oh, i'm not showing anybody this man this is stupid like i was trying to talk myself out of it even though i loved it i tried to talk myself out of it because It wasn't the norm for me. And the norm for me is painting like these great paint, these poetic paintings. And I was like, but, you know, you would never never succeed as something that you really care about if you don't just put it out there. So what I did was I put it out to the public and uh, the public, they loved it, the ones that saw it. And the funny part was I never tried to invite people to actually go see it. Because I wanted to be one of those things where, you know, just find it. If you see it, it.
1: Mm.
2: awesome. And and a lot of people that came across it, they loved it. So that was really cool. Mm. Like the response of the people was life for me. So it gave me enough confidence to say, okay, I'm going to do another one. Like, like.
1: Just don't, exactly. just don't fuck your eyes up.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, please please don't,
1: but please Not do can, <laughs>
2: continue. I'm a stunt devil. I'm my own stunt devil now. <laughs> you know, <but> when, <laughs> when
0: you first started learning to paint, I heard that you were really into Gordon Parks' photographs. So maybe there's something about photography for you as well as film. Mm. Like, the Can you speak a bit how you, how you discovered his photographs? And
2: Well, man, I've been following Gordon Parks' work Maybe when I first started getting into painting in around 2017, I walked into a gallery in New Orleans that had uh, a few Garden Parks photos. And I was so drawn to it because a lot of people don't notice, but I had really wanted to be a photographer. I, I loved photography. And uh, one of my managers, when I was working the office, gave me a Nikon camera. Oh, wow. And he would And he would pick me up and then we will go do photos of like sugarcane fields, old slave houses, and things like that. So I was like, man, this is kind of boring. Like I don't I don't know if I want to do photography. I didn't know anything about street photography. I was like, man, wait. You look in magazines and books, somebody had to take these photos, and I didn't realize that until 2017 <laughs> when I started painting already. And um and so I've and then Garden Parks was the, the one for me. He was and I I wanted to carry my career like his. So like being able to to photograph things where he might have wasn't even allowed to be at times, you know. Or I mean think about some of the things he photographed, and the people he photographed at a time where segregation still yeah, existed. God. Yeah. You know, but he was able to go out and capture those moments. Like he he had to physically be there. He's not hiding behind a canvas. He had to physically be there. So I've always wanted to make sure I keep that same type of courage that he had as a as a painter to, to actually just tell these poetic stories and and say no, like these are not this is not ghetto. This is like this is like poetry right here. This is something from something within, you know, something deep. But uh and the composition, like, again, I wanted to be a photographer. So I look for the weird compositions and the, the not norm compositions in people. Because when you're a photographer, there's things, there's rules that I heard, um, as a photographer, oh, don't cut the elbow off when you're taking a photo, make sure that the, the feet are in the photo, not just like the ankle and things like that. So I'm like, man, I'm gonna break those rules right quick. And I just, I'll cut the elbow off and just and just do certain things, you know, that you normally won't see in photography or in just
1: the art. You're a cropper. Things. You're a cropper. You're cropping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are you, before we get on to our final questions, what are you working towards next? And do you find it hard? It, it sounds like you might to build a body of work for uh, an exhibition, for a date in place? It feels like you just make paintings and then there you find a cohesion between them all once you've completed.
2: Well, I'm doing Basel this year again um, with Marion Boski, and I have a solo show coming up in L.A. in February during Freeze L.A., Los Angeles. So, honestly, I work in series now because I found... That is easier for me when I'm doing solo shows. But whenever I feel like the series is starting to become a job, because when you're doing a series, somebody's telling you, like, hey, this the gallery, uh, you got a show, an uh, exhibition, right? So I feel like when somebody's telling me that, it's like a job. So what I do is I break away and I just do some random shit in my studio, which I have a lot, because I don't know if you can see, I have this big ass horse back there. Love. It was just like, me deciding to like just break the rules a little bit and like it looks a bit like george
1: stubbs like whistle jacket or something back there it looks like a lot of victorian-esque yeah equestrian painting
2: because of that painting when i post that painting somebody mentioned george stubbs so a lot of times that's how i learn about art is through yourself (laughs) <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh man like that looks like that reminds me of a painting from such and such and then you look at it like oh wow like I could see this the resemblance but I I never did research on none of these artists I'm just creating in my studio you, know,
0: do, you do you have so. artists in 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 Texas that you're like friends with or other other artists that you've sort of got bonds with or that you are inspired by
2: no <laughs> Uh, <laughs> i nope. thought that might be the
0: answer actually
2: <laughs> no no i have artists around the u.s like beverly fishman i love her mm. to that and uh, uh danielle mckinney like i really love her work mm. she's with marion also um there's a there's a few artists that really i love their work that i actually communicate with versus like some people i do love their work but i never got an opportunity to talk with them like i never got an opportunity to talk with Kara james marshall or um or rashid uh johnson i never got an opportunity to talk to them but i really really admire their work mm. and just admire them as a as a person mm. also so
1: you will you're going to be having all these conversations in life. right right in no time right yeah. and,
2: and the reason and another reason a big reason why i don't have these conversations much because I'm always working. I I love being in my space and I just love being in my studio, to be honest. So it's not because I might not like their works or anything like that. I just stay to myself because growing up in Tiller, that's the one thing that you learn how to do real quick. Mind your business (laughs) and and, and
1: work. (laughs) Someone said a, a phrase to me the other day. They said, never miss the opportunity to keep your mouth shut. And that to me, I'm not saying, not saying that's what you need to do, but that that to me was like, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely understand that. <laughs> if yeah. at any chance you've got an opportunity, keep your mouth shut.
2: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> just listen. Just listen. Exactly. So final questions now we're going to go into this has just been heaven, Jamie. Um, if you could do an art heist, you could have any work of art in the world for yourself. You could steal it very nicely and it will live with you. What work of art would that be and why?
2: Uh, It would be anything from Caravaggio. Whoa. I would take any Caravaggio piece because, man, I was so, like, so, like, like turned off by the term masters. Growing up in the South, master slavery. Like, you don't want to hear that word master (laughs) in Thibodeau. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of strayed away from that style of work because it was, like, old masters. And um then I started educating myself more and watching YouTube videos and them talking about Cavaggio. And that's when my color palette actually changed. Like I started doing my work a little bit darker because of like I love Cavaggio that much. And it was like, man, these people was really masters. Like they didn't, they didn't have no help. They didn't know what certain things look like. They just created it, you know, like we have internet nowadays. We know what a dog look like. You ever looked at these old paintings when they painted the cats? They they didn't know what the cat looked like. They had human faces. They didn't know what elephants, alligators look like, but they still created. So I would just take anything from Manny Cavaggio. He's like everything to me. I I really like his work.
1: Great. We've got you one of those. That's coming. (laughs) We ship Um, that. (laughs)
2: Oh. <laughs> I think we we'll
0: need to go to Rome or somewhere to get 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 that for you. Um, the other question we ask every guest is, "What is your favorite color?"
2: Black. I, I love black. Black. I feel like it's such a dominant color. Honestly, Jay Z said it in one of the songs. He said, "I'm gonna wear black for years straight." I'm on my I'm on my uh, Jay Z wearing black for years straight. So. I ordered, I don't think, I think it was about 25 pair of black pants and maybe 70 black T-shirts. So I'm I'm equipped for the, the next four years.
1: <laughs> Jay-Z, Jay-Z said an incredible thing that's always stuck with me where he's talking about uh, making space for people and allowing it is that taking a step back to make the circle bigger. And that's always right. been you something that, you know, talking to you right now feels like something that you do in your practice, that with your art, with your, with your storytelling, with your messages, it feels like you are taking a step backwards to let more people into art, to let more people into you, but also the opportunity to share in the arts.
2: Right. You're right about that. I always try to include
1: people. Like,
2: I don't want anybody to feel like my work is not for
1: them. I don't care who it is. I love that. Final question. What's the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art?
2: Paint as far away as I can from Basquiat.
1: What? Hang on a minute. We're going to break this down. The best advice you've ever received is someone said, don't paint like Basquiat.
2: Because my work was really uh, early on was an expressionist work. And at the time I was creating it, I didn't know who Basquiat was. But I would get a lot of people saying, oh, it reminds me of Basquiat. And then one of my collectors was like, hey, she said, you know, Basquiat has such a strong umbrella that it would be, it's hard for expressionist artists to really like get it like Basquiat because they can always give you the comparison. So she was like, you know, paint as far as you can away from Basquiat and and uh, I think good things will happen. Dig deeper. and." i
1: dug (laughs) and you're still digging i I mean it's like i I think we're just on the surface for you know the work you're making
2: right and i and i did and you know i spent more time just exploring myself more and and trying to turn emotion because my work was so like colorful and so fast because it was raw emotion and i took it i molded it that's why what I said, like I learned how to feel with my hand, with my eyes, because I had to start molding these expressions into a figure and I'm there. Well, thank god no. for
0: your sensitivity and uh thoughtfulness i just think you're an amazing communicator through paintings oh, yeah. and even you, you said you're not much of a talker talker yeah we just like, did what? an amazing talk art yes i've loved every minute of hearing you Same. speaking you have such a generous kind spirit and mm. i really hope we get to meet you in real life very soon and not
2: just remotely yeah
1: <laughs> thanks Jeremy. i'm sure i'm sure you will have you ever been I'm called old. sherlock holmes do people ever call you sherlock
2: Oh, yeah. I was called sure like Holmes a lot. And then I, I would get the like Spanish accent. Hey, Holmes. I would get that. <laughs> and then I would get uh, Jamie. Jamie Fox was the one that went to my head and I started getting in trouble in school. When I was a sixth grader, everybody called me Jamie Foxx from the, the comedian. So I thought I wanted to be funny and I would get in trouble all the way to I got to high school.
1: <laughs> yeah. Same.
2: But I was a comedian. <laughs>
1: amazing. Wow. well it's been incredible thank you yeah. so much jamie for everyone listening go to uh at talk art for images we've talked about today on our side jamie you're on instagram and you answer every single dm yeah, so everybody you can listening find just know that you're going to get a response
0: it's at jhomes 214 and also jamie's got an amazing website which is really worth visiting which is um it's spelt j-a-m-m-i-e-h-o-l-m-e-s.com jamieholmes.com and, yes, uh, and thanks to Marianne Boski and to everyone around the world who's listening to this. Yeah, we'll be back very soon. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, both of you. Bye. Bye. Bye.